Welcome. I'm Julie Bacon, and you're listening to the Mindset Coaching for Handlers podcast, a podcast for dog handlers who are on a mission to achieve big goals. Here I share lessons, insights, personal stories, and tools you can apply during your next show, trial, or test to help you strengthen your mental game and hopefully cue more consistently. Be sure to check out the show notes where you'll find details about the episodes, plus important links, including the link to the Dogged Planner and Workbook created just for handlers on a mission. So if you're ready to improve your competitive mindset, get out of your own way, and connect with your dog like never before, then it's time to get comfy, bring an open mind, and work your mindset. Everyone, welcome back to the podcast. All right, this week we are tackling imposter syndrome because imposter syndrome has popped up in a few places lately with my clients and in my membership. And why not just tackle it here? Okay, so what is imposter syndrome? So casually, my casual definition is that, you know, you just feel like you don't belong right? Or you just feel like you have no business being in this ring, like, or that, you know, someone's going to find out that like, you're not as good as they thought, or that you, um, I don't know, it's kind of like a deserving or a worthiness sort of feel to it for me. And um, it's really common in athletes, in teaching instructors, maybe you're an instructor for students. I've had definitely had conversations about that um, with my clients who are also instructors who feel like, who am I to be, you know, teaching when I'm still working on my journey as well, right? Or who am I to be running this dog or entering these classes or doing these things, right? So it comes from like an insecurity, a fear, a worthiness. There's a lot of things sort of underneath it. So we're going to talk about maybe like five possible like reasons that you feel that way. And then we're also going to talk about like five things you can do about it, right? Because we love lists and lists are great. Um, so, and they're digestible. So let's get into it. All right. So where does imposter syndrome come from? The first place it comes from, and this is one of those kind of like, I don't know, it's seems like a backhanded compliment, but it's really sometimes bites us. And that is having high standards, right? We all have high standards. We hold ourselves to these standards. We strive for excellence. And actually, a lot of us are, you know, recovering perfectionists, I'll say. And um, we have such a high standard or expectation of our own performance that we don't on some level, some part of our brain is going like, that's not really possible. Like, I don't believe that you can attain that self. And so it's in that war of that conversation in our brain that's happening. You know, one part of you is like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to enter this. I'm going to, you know, push myself, push myself outside my comfort zone. And then another part of us, of our brains are sort of kind of arguing back and saying like, who are you to be doing that? You might fail. Like you you aren't good enough for this. And because we know on there's some part of us that actually does realize that perfection isn't really possible or isn't realistic, that we set ourselves up for this conversation because we're going for this level of perfection or level of excellence or this these high standards that we have. But then another part of our brain is saying, mm, that's not possible. So we get into this kind of vicious loop because we think that 
it's not possible. So then that imposter syndrome sort of kicks in, right? Our high standards, we start to think are not attainable. So then why, why am I even doing this? And then all the doubt creeps in. And then you start to doubt your ability to perform, even though you have a track record and experience that says, no, no, you can do this, or you are you are ready, you're prepared, you've done your homework, you deserve to be there. So high standards, that's the first way that um, imposter syndrome sort of weasels its way into our brains. The second is comparison. <laughs> and I'm laughing, it's not, not in a funny way, maybe more in an uncomfortable way, because we've talked about comparison quite a bit on this podcast, because it's a huge thing. You know, it's a huge thing in sport to be comparative to um, your other handlers, to maybe even instructors, definitely your dogs, um, litter mates, you know, people in class with you, you know, almost like the closer you are, the more the comparisons really weigh. And when we start to compare like that, remember what we see usually on the outside is only the things people talk about, right? The outer shell. We don't really see what's going on underneath. So we don't really fully know someone's complete journey and what they might be struggling with. So a lot of times we're comparing our struggles with someone else's highlight reel, right? So it's not really even apples to apples, though we think we are because we think that's what everybody is seeing, right? And so when we do that, just even in that like example of comparing my real life to someone else's highlight reel, we you can already know where that's going to go, right? It's not a real comparison and it's not setting me up for confidence, right? It's not setting me up to really believe in myself or, you know, think that I'm worthy, etc., right? So that we've got to always mind ourselves when it comes to comparison. It just makes us feel inadequate. And it's, we're really just doing that to ourselves, right? It's kind of self-torture, <laughs> okay? All right, the third thing is obvious kind of fear of failure, right? We're going into an event, we're going into a new trial or a new place or an old trial or a familiar place, and we're just afraid to fail. We could be adding extra pressure. We could have pressure from outside sources even. Um, We could worry about making a mistake or we could worry about making a mistake and then suddenly we feel exposed or vulnerable and that makes us feel like someone else is going to think we're not worthy, we're, we're not good enough, we're not a good handler, we're incompetent, right? And that can lead to those feelings of being a feeling like an imposter, right? That's what that is, right? Is that imposter is like someone is like, you you know, you pull the curtain back and you see that they are not who they thought that you, that you either thought they were or that they pretended to be. And so when we make a mistake in the ring, are we feeling like we're being exposed? You know, instructors feel this a lot because they feel that added pressure of, you know, being the instructor for their students. But then when you go to a trial, you know, everybody's on even footing. You know, so is your instructor. Your instructor has their own dogs and challenges and all of that kind of stuff that they're going through too. But sometimes I've, I've talked to instructors who are, who don't even want to trial kind of around their their students because they feel like their students are holding them to another standard and they don't want to fail in front of them and then feel like, oh, maybe they're going to think I'm not, you know, good enough to be teaching them or something like that, right? So it's really easy to have that fear of failure really 
push all the imposter syndrome buttons. Okay. Um, the fourth is a perceived lack of skill or lack of experience, right? And heavy emphasis on the word perceived because again, this is something that we are thinking about. We are thinking in our heads and where this thought comes from, only you would know, (laughs) right? Um, But that we need X amount of experience or we need X amount of skill before we can do something, walk in the ring, you know, trial our dog in a certain environment or a certain class or something like that. And so when we think that we have to be at certain level before we walk into the ring, you know, that can make it extra difficult to push into that growth zone where we know that that's where we get better, right? We don't get better in our comfort zone. We get better when we push ourselves into our growth zone. And so then we start to feel like, oh, I don't have enough skill or experience or, you know, miles or something like that to even belong here. And really what it is, is you're, you're pushing yourself and that's great. And you're pushing yourself into this new place. And no, of course you don't have all the skills, but you're not supposed to, right? When we level up, we're leveling up in order to gain those skills, in order to gain that experience. And so, yeah, you've got to have realistic expectations for yourself because otherwise you can put yourself in a position, in a frame of mind, really, where you then feel inadequate to be there, right? I mean, I remember the first time I moved up into master's, you know, that was a big thing. I was like, wow, do I really deserve to be, you know, playing with the big kids now, right? And, you know, the first runs are a little rocky as they are, but then you kind of get your sea legs about you and you realize like, okay, like I deserve to be here or, you know, the things we practice at home are harder than the things I'm seeing in a trial. Yes, I can do this. And it doesn't even take a cue or a pass or anything like that to start to feel it. It just, you just got to do it. It's one of those things you just got to get into the experience of it. All right. And then finally, number five, we'll call it like external validation, right? Where you kind of, you know, as handlers in a competitive environment, you know, a lot of our validation comes from external factors, you know, cues, awards, other people, you know, how well we do on the course. I mean, people are watching. I mean, we're usually doing this in public, right? So people can watch, people can see how we're doing. And so whether or not they come out of the ring and you get a good at a girl or, or whatever, or you, you're getting setbacks or what have you, you know, sometimes we, we tie our own self value to our accomplishments, and our accomplishments with our dogs, or we tie our, our personal self-value to our dog's accomplishments because we think that reflects on us and who we are as humans instead of just realizing that we're all handlers just kind of trying to figure this out, okay? So that external, that need for external validation or sometimes we just want feedback, right? So sometimes external validation can also look like feedback and that we're not, we need positive feedback or we're longing for positive feedback because sometimes we just want to know that we're making progress. You know, would someone please just tell me that like I'm on the right path, you know, after what felt like a train wreck of a run, you know, if I could come out and someone could just say, there's a lot of good things that happened in there, right? So external validation. All right. So 
let's recap where some of the things where imposter syndrome can come from. Having high standards, which we're probably going to continue to have high standards, but just just know that that can really push those buttons. Comparison, especially to peers or other dogs, things like that. We know the drill when it comes to comparison. Fear of failure, of course, like making a mistake in public, having others see our mistakes. Um, perceiving that we don't have the like, enough experience or enough skills to be in the class or the situation that we are in. That's four. And then finally five, like external validation, either needing it, not getting enough of it, um, needing feedback, or just being concerned that we're not going to get it, uh, that we're not going to be deserving of that validation. So those would be kind of the five places where... Um, imposter syndrome can come from. And after this really quick break, we're going to go on five things that we can do about it because like we're all here for the solution, right? Quick question. Do you ever wish you had more mindset help? Well, the Q membership was created just for that reason. Every month we pick a topic and then we have four lessons, which are kind of like these podcasts that we dive deeper into. And so if you are ready for more, you're ready for more mindset work, think about joining the Q membership. Annual members get a free coaching session, but you can also choose the monthly option as well. Go to theqcoach.com to learn more. Let's get back to the episode. Okay, now that we know where it's coming from, what the heck are we going to do about it? Because imposter syndrome is not fun, (laughs) okay? And it can really develop, I guess my concern when I'm coaching people is, my concern is it develops into a limiting belief, right? That any of those things that we just went through um, becomes a limiting belief. Because when we have thoughts on repeat, then those thoughts start to turn into a belief. And then when we start to make decisions based on those beliefs that limit our um, exposure or limit what we do or have an effect like, oh, then you're not going to enter the trial because you're not ready or you entered the trial, but you're not going to show up that day because these other things are holding you back. Those are limiting beliefs because they're beliefs about yourself that are literally limiting your experiences. And then of course those turn into actions, right? You don't go to the trial because you're, you're too nervous or you don't want to fail or what have you. And you have this imposter syndrome. And then of course the results are that you don't get the experience and you don't get kind of over the hump that you need to, right? So, you know, every every single one of us has some amount of imposter syndrome somewhere, some point. Sometimes it flares and it's really big and sometimes it's just kind of simmering or it's kind of under control and we're good with it, all right? But my fear for, for you, for everybody listening, is that I don't want it to become a limiting belief. That's where like I'm get as you can tell, like really passionate about like stepping in and making sure that doesn't happen. So here are five things that you can do to quell those those imposter syndrome thoughts or maybe not let them get any worse <laughs> or, um, you know, really try to get a hold of them. Um, you know, the of course, the blanket thing to say is like, you know, those five places that, that it comes from, like just stop doing that, right? Um, but I think as we've all known, like to say don't or stop or just don't do that is kind of isn't helpful <laughs> because our brains need a replacement. 
Okay, so we need to replace those thoughts with better thoughts, with an action, so that what we end up doing is crowding out those old habits, those old thoughts, and replacing them with new, better, more helpful, more constructive thoughts, quite frankly. All right, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to focus on the journey, right? It sounds corny, but it's it's a corny cliche because it's been said a lot because it's true, <laughs> okay? So remembering that you have your own path, your own challenges, you know, this is especially helpful if you are in sort of comparison mode with another handler or, you know, you're comparing your dog to its litter mate or something or, um, you know, what have you. You've got to remind yourself that you you're your own team, you know, with your own challenges, um, your own process goals, your own journey, your own everything. And in doing that, you know, to, I think it also helps to focus on your why and like why you're in this game to begin with. Okay. You know, celebrate your milestones, celebrate the progress instead of looking back like one weekend or even a month of weekends, look back six months and show yourself like how far you've come and how far you've come, only you, only you and your dog, only your team. And that's the point to celebrate, not in comparison with someone else. Okay. So first, number one, focus on your own journey, or as I like to say, eyes on your own paper. (laughs) Okay. Um, Eyes on your own paper, butter your own biscuit, um, whatever kind of fun cliche uh, works for you um, to write down in your notes for this point, write it down. Okay. The second thing is to visualize success. You know, um, there's two aspects of this that I like to break down the visualize part and the success part. Okay. Because the, the success part to me, the phrase that always comes to mind in this moment is a corporate phrase, right? Like what does success look like? Like, have you defined what success looks like for you? Because again, your specific success Um, should contain appropriate expectations. Um, Yes, you are striving for excellence, but you are having appropriate expectations based on your skill level, your dog's skill level. And, you know, maybe a win for you this weekend is just that like you get less nervous than you used to, right? Maybe that's what success looks like for you. You know, maybe success for you just looks like showing up and going and participating because maybe it's been a long time since you've walked into the ring or you've been really struggling with ring nerves or something. So define what success looks like and measure against that, your own personal definition, which is based on number one, focusing on your own journey and your own, you know, just your own milestones and like where you are. The second part of visualized success is of course the visualization. And I love me some visualization, right? I visualize all kinds of things all the time. I I think that they go hand in hand, right? With defining what success looks like and then visualizing you achieving that success in that way and really painting the full picture with emotion, with feeling, you know, with as many, incorporating as many of your senses as you can to really paint that picture fully and put that on a loop in your brain about like how it's going to go well, how it's going to go correctly, how you envision the the weekend, the day, the run going based on your definition of success. Okay. The third thing is any mistakes are just feedback. It's just 
feedback. You know, we play the sport, you know, some think it's a hobby, some thinks it's a sport, whatever you're in it for, like goes back to your why, whatever you're in it for, you know, you have to see that as, um, as everything is learning because you're doing it for whatever passionate reason, right? And so when we do that and we realize that like, well, none of those reasons involve, you know, life or death, right? We're not, we're not trying to solve world peace here. We're doing this because we're having fun. We're enjoying the time with our dogs. And so in doing that, we want to get better. We, we're, we're competing for a reason, right? I love to compete. I love the adrenaline of it. I love, you know, seeing how far I can push myself, et cetera, et cetera. So, but in that, it's still not a life or death situation if I make a mistake, So when we can fully embrace a growth mindset and see those mistakes, errors, what have you, things that go awry as learning opportunities or feedback, it changes the whole game for us because we don't have to walk in the ring thinking that we have to be perfect or being afraid to fail because we know that, you know, win or lose, it's feedback, right? You know, um, cue or make a mistake, we're going to get feedback. We're going to um, use those things to fuel our future growth. And that's an incredibly important perspective to have just in general, in sport, in this game that we play. Like we have to really embrace that growth mindset. Okay. Um, All right. Number four, get some support, right? Seek support from your friends, from other handlers, from instructors, you know, don't, you know, I say a lot that I am always really surprised how lonely I think this sport can be, which is such a bizarre thing, I think, to say, because we're surrounded by people. We have instructors. Many of us kind of travel in a pack or we have a group of people that we're, we always hang out with, but yet everybody is is kind of going through their individual journeys, you know, and I think that we don't ask for help enough, whether, uh, or ask for the kind of help that we need. You know, everybody, again, from the outside, from the shiny shell of what we can see of someone else's journey, we, we don't think that they're struggling with mindset or that they're struggling with imposter syndrome or that, or that maybe we could just say, Hey, could you give me some feedback or, or something, or, you know, I'm having or having a rough day. And so to seek that out or seek out communities or find groups or something like that, where you are finding some like-minded people to go through that with is really helpful. It's less isolating. It's obviously more supportive. And it just will help you realize that you're not only not alone in this community, but you're not alone in what you're going through, right? And I think you know, everybody likes to know that. Everybody likes to know that they're not the only ones struggling or dealing or in need of some encouragement and just in need of some like, you know, had a girl, keep going, you know, kind of thing, which we all need and we all deserve, right? All right. The fifth thing, and I think this is an appropriate lot. Well, I'm going to add a fifth and a half, (laughs) but um, the fifth thing is to practice some self-compassion, right? Be nice to yourself, you know, watch yourself talk, you know, none of that, like, oh, you're so stupid, or oh, I can't believe you made that mistake again, or, you know, none of that. That is all just making all of it much worse, right? And nobody needs to do that. 
Nobody needs to do that to themselves. It's not helpful. It's not constructive. It sure as heck doesn't build up your own confidence. So when you are facing that like self-doubt or that self-criticism, like treat yourself the way you would treat a friend who walked up to you and said, hey, this is what I'm wrestling with. Uh, You know, give yourself some empathy. Give yourself some understanding. Acknowledge that you're trying. Acknowledge that you're making progress. You know, remember that it's, it's okay to feel like this. And it's just kind of part of the process. It's not, or part of the journey, rather. It's not even... It's not a fun part of it, okay? But all aspects of our journey are not fun. You know, sometimes we have to kind of go through it and know that when you get through it, you will be stronger for it, okay? And the, quote, fifth and a half I have, which is very related, I think, to self-compassion, is gratitude. You know, it goes along with this perspective. Like, have some gratitude of, like, of yourself and, like, how far you've come and, like, gratitude for your dog and what they're doing for you and how hard they're trying and gratitude for your instructor or the your support system that you do have or your ability to ask a question in a group or something like that you know gratitude can really shift our mindset and our perspective really really quickly and you know it's gotten to be such a cliche right live laugh love and gratitude and so grateful and it's on you know license plates and bumper stickers and things like that but i really I really think it's powerful. It's just so incredibly powerful to shift into gratitude, to feel that feeling and know that um, you just know that perspective, right? And um, just to be grateful, even when things are hard, you know, to be grateful for, you know, the push, right? Be grateful to be in that growth zone and know that you are growing and learning and getting better. Um, So always, always reach for gratitude. Okay, so to recap, because I love a good recap, focus on your journey, visualize success, see those mistakes as feedback, get some support from, you know, other people, um, practice self-compassion, and along with that, go reach for gratitude, reach for gratitude, okay? So I'm curious, and I want you to be curious this weekend, because you know I love, love some good weekend homework, um, you know, even if you think you don't, aren't like you're good with imposter syndrome right now, you're in a good place with that, first of all, fantastic. But just look around for different ways that you might feel it and how it comes up for you and what that does and how it impacts your confidence. Or, you know, maybe it's it shows up in surprising ways for you. And so you really want to get a handle on it. And then the other thing I'm curious is like, you know, please don't try to try all of these remedies at once, right? Pick something, pick one that feels easier for you to gravitate to, you know, if it's focusing on your journey, start there. If it's, you realize that like, well, you know what, you know, what's, what's killing me about my imposter syndrome is I really don't have a great definition of success. Like I need to really define what success looks like and really kind of visualize that. Then great. Start there. If all else fails, go to gratitude, okay? But really think about what tools sound 
sound accessible to you, meaning you think you could do that, right? If I said, which one of these, you have to pick just one, which one do you think you can do the easiest, the bestest, the fastest, whatever, which ones can you grab readily? And then as you go along in your imposter journey, imposter syndrome journey, like what other tools would you like to practice with? So maybe gratitude is really accessible for you, but you actually, that visualize success thing, you would like to get way better at that or you're really terrible at asking for help, like a lot of us are, and so you wanna get better at asking for help, okay? So, you know, grab a tool that feels accessible to you, but also, again, push yourself into growth, make yourself a little uncomfortable, and get good at some of these other tools, because they will really help you out. And, you know, there will be times where you're like, you know what? Gratitude is not cutting it today. <laughs> I'm having a really bad day. I love my dog. I'm grateful for them, but I'm also frustrated as heck. And I just, I don't even want to walk into that ring today because my imposter syndrome is so thick, you know? So you might need any more tools. All right. So think about that. You know, whenever, you know, lists are great, but sometimes they can also be overwhelming. So maybe this is a podcast that you listen again to at some point in the future and you grab a different tool and you work with that a little bit. Okay, so play with it. Push yourself to get good at some of these mindset tools so that when you need them, when you get in those moments, because like I said, maybe your imposter syndrome's in a good place right now, but some other time it'll creep up. You know, it creeps up on you when you're, you know, heading into the finals or something or heading into a big event, you know, and you want these tools to be sharpened and ready to go. You know, not, you don't want to be saying like, what was that thing she said? Because I need to do some mindset cramming right now, right? Which works too, by the way, but just not as well. So that's my homework for you this week. Have a think about it. See what you can incorporate into your life. And no matter what you're up to this week, I hope you have a fantastic week with your dogs. Thanks so much for listening to the Mindset Coaching for Handlers podcast with me, Julie Bacon. I am so grateful for your precious time. Check out my Dogged Planner workbook and journal available on Amazon. Just search for Dogged Planner. I also offer monthly membership that's perfect for ongoing support of your awesome goals. Check out theqcoach.com for details or just stop by and check out all the ways you can work on your mindset. And be sure to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at theqcoach and let me know how it's going. Finally, please share, subscribe, and leave a review. This helps us podcasters tremendously. Plus, I know I get my best podcast recommendations from friends. Thanks and have a great week with your dogs.